Open your Bible with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 30. We've taken a few weeks as we are really taking our time to go through the book of Genesis and learn in the life of Jacob. What is the Lord teaching us through the life of Jacob? He's teaching us different lessons regarding faith in every generation. He's teaching us through the faith of Abraham. He's teaching us through the faith of Isaac. And now through the faith of Jacob, that God now has had a personal encounter with Jacob. God has revealed himself to Jacob. Jacob knows who God is. Jacob has been saved, but Jacob is learning to be submitted. It is one thing to be saved. It is another thing to be submitted. And here, through different experiences, through different tasks, as he waits on the Lord, as he's hearing from the Lord... He's learning what it means to be submitted. And we learn, even as we look at the family of Jacob, that God works even through dysfunction. That God functions even through dysfunction. That that God even works in, in the families that are dysfunctional families. And we thank God for that because we are families just like that. There, there's no perfect family. <laughs> And out of a dysfunctional family, notice the 12 tribes of Israel are born. The nation of Israel is born out of a dysfunctional family. Notice God works even in the frailty of men. God works even beyond our failures. God works in spite of our mistakes. God works in spite of our flaws. That's how good he is. And we see his grace we can see his faithfulness. We can see his goodness in all of this. That in spite of everything of what Jacob has done and his mother Rachel, and there you see Rebecca, and then you see there Isaac and Abraham, all of them, God is still fulfilling his plan. Yes, this is a story about oppression, but this is also a story of redemption. That God works powerfully in the midst of failure, that he he works in spite of who we are. That is so comforting for us to know, even as we open up the Bible tonight, that regardless of who we are, what we have done, God is still working. That's how good he is. Yes, we have failed. Yes, we have let him down time and time again, but he is still faithful. And you know what Jacob is learning to do here? He's learning to let God do the work. That's what we're titled the message tonight, Genesis 30, Letting God Do the Work. Well, why is this message important? Because sometimes we get in the way of what God is doing. We want to get in the way. We, we start striving or we become ambitious as to what the Lord is doing in our lives. We, we want to fulfill our own plan or our own agenda. And here we're learning not to get ahead of God, to not rush the process. You know, God has a plan, and in that plan, he has a process. Well, I want you to know something tonight. Do not rush the process. God has a plan. Let God do the work. And if God's going to do the work, notice, he's going to do it his way. He's not going to do it our way. He's going to do it his way. What's the constant theme that we've been learning through the last few chapters? Faith is believing without scheming. When we're trusting God, when we're depending upon the Lord, we don't need to scheme. We don't need to manipulate. We don't need to work hard in our own energy. The Lord will just bless us with an opportunity right in our laps. Because that's a work of the Spirit. The Lord brings the work to us. And you see his goodness in that. Notice, we're going to see two things here as, as to how we see God working in the life of Jacob. You, you see from verses 1 to 24, in his home life, he's working. And then from verses 24 to 43, in his work life, he's also working. What is he learning? To let God do the work. In your home life, let God do the work. With your children, in your marriage, in the family, let the Lord do the work. In your work life, whatever the Lord's put right before you, whatever career, gifts, calling, let the Lord do the work. You can try as hard as you want, as as much as you can 
with your own energy, with your own strength, but if the Lord's not in it, nothing is going to happen. It is of no avail. But if it's powered by the Holy Spirit, notice, it will be a work that is blessed. You want to know the difference between a work that's blessed and one that's not? One is powered by the Spirit. Another one is motivated by a man. Notice in Psalms 127 verse 1, it would say this, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord is building the family, unless the Lord is building the house, unless the Lord is building the calling, the gift, the ministry, they labor in vain who build it. You're just wasting your time. You're going to be accomplishing a lot in the energy of your flesh. But if the Lord is not doing it, then you labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, notice what it says, unless the Lord is the one that's protecting, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is of no avail again. It has to be the Lord that's doing the work. It has to be the Spirit of God that is working in the midst of His people. So notice there in verse 1 of chapter 30, it says, Now when Rachel saw, and I want you to circle the word saw, because she was looking at her sister Leah. Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. It said in the previous chapter that he loved Rachel, that she was beautiful, and that Leah compared to Rachel was not that beautiful. <laughs> in fact, that he did not love her the same way. And that Leah was able to have children, but Rachel was not. And there it says, now when Rachel saw that she bore Leah, Jacob, no children, or she herself bore Jacob, no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now, Lord, and we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that we would allow you to build, build a family, build Lord, our work life, build a ministry, that it would you be building the things around us that we're a part of, Lord. That it would not be our own energy, our own flesh, our own strength, but it would be you, Jesus. So we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through this text, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we would say, amen. Now you see here what happens in verse 1 that Rachel noticed that she herself was, able, was, was not able to have children to Jacob. And it said that she envied her sister. Well, what happened here is that Rachel, the beautiful one, as the Bible would have tell us there in chapter 29, becomes jealous of her sister. And the word envy is a very strong word. It's a word that sometimes we struggle with. Envy here describes a strong inner feeling of not only jealousy, but notice also anger of rage. And not only was she jealous, I want you to know something about her envy. What happened here? She was jealous and then she was led by her jealousy. The only thing worse than being jealous is being motivated by jealousy. And jealousy is like a cancer. It, it disrupts you. It, it robs you of your peace and of your joy here. And there she is led by jealousy, by envy, by anger, by strife. So because she's jealous, then she says. Notice verse 1, what the Bible says there in chapter 30. It says, she was envied her sister and said to Jacob. She was frustrated. She was angry. She was jealous. She was full of rage and envy now. So then she tells Jacob because of all of that. And what does she say here? His wife telling the husband, Jacob, give me children or I die well here's an emotional demand here's an exaggeration now we all know here that our wives never exaggerate right but here she's saying she's so emotional it says you either give me children or i'm gonna die or i'm done and oftentimes i want you to look at this when we're allowing god to do the work that we would not come to god with our agenda with our emotional demands and say, complete my agenda, or I'm done. It's not about your timing. It's not about your plan. It's not about your agenda. It's about what God wants to do in your life. God knows what is best. 
And he knows what's best for you. But the problem here with what's happening is that Rachel is looking to the wrong person to solve her problem. She's looking to the wrong person to solve her need. Notice what she does. She goes to her husband and she says, husband, you need to give me children or else I'm going to die. Understanding, not seeing that this is not something that is in the power of her husband to do. Instead of going to the Lord, she goes to her husband. Now, I want you to know something. God is the answer. He is the solution to every problem. He is the answer to your problem. He is the answer to our now dilemmas, to our needs, to fill the void, to fill the emptiness. Jacob could not fill that void. Jacob could not fill that emptiness. Jacob could not meet that need. No matter how much he tried in his own flesh and strength, he could do nothing so that she could have children. It was outside of his power. And what an example for us, even as we saw the life of Hannah on Sunday, that no person is going to meet the void or the need that only God can satisfy. No boss at work, no friend, no neighbor, no position, no materialism will ever meet the need, will ever bring true satisfaction to the void that God has created in our lives that only He can meet. You know what the problem oftentimes is? Is that we put the pressure on someone else. You either do this for me or I'm unhappy. You either give me this or I'm not satisfied. And when we start to do that, we start to now live our lives based off of our selfish interests, based off the works of the flesh. Notice, what is the work of the flesh there in verse 1? Envy. And we know this, that if we're, ever, if we're motivated by envy, notice what is taking control. The flesh is taking control. Nothing will ever be enough, I want you to know this, until you're satisfied in Jesus. And here she needed to learn that as well. That, that the only one that will satisfy you is God. That, that you don't have to choose something new. That you don't have to choose something else. Notice what truly brings satisfaction is a relationship with Jesus. What did she think she needed here? She thought she needed children. And it's important that we look at this because we don't oftentimes know what we really need until we first know that we, what we need is Jesus. And then when you know that what you need is Jesus, then you realize you have everything you need. It is in Christ Jesus. You know what our prayer should be even as we look at verse 1? Lord, deliver us from envy through submission to your will. Lord, we want to be submitted to your will, to your timing. We do not want to be envy or jealous of what, Lord, you are doing in someone else's life and begin to compare ourselves with other people. You know what that is? A work of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, you can write this down. Paul tells the church, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Be walking, submitted to this power of the Holy Spirit, so that you don't give in to every temptation. So you're not defeated with the lust of the flesh, with a thought, with a desire, with a temptation, with a test. So walk under the power of the Spirit so that you don't enter temptation, so that you don't give in to those desires of the flesh. For the flesh, notice, lust against the Spirit. The flesh is always fighting against what the Spirit needs. And, and, the, and, notice, and the Spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary to one another. So that you don't do the things that you wish. Have you ever been in a situation like what Paul said? The things that I don't want to do, those things I keep finding myself doing. And then the things that I actually want to do, those I can't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of sin? But he understands that only through Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can he have victory over the flesh, and so can we. So he then he says here in Galatians 5, 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, and that's what we want to be, led by the Spirit. Not led by envy, not led by anger, not led by jealousy, not led by competition, not led by comparison. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. 
Now, the works of the flesh, what does he say? They're evident. They're obvious. You can see them when you're walking in the flesh. Oftentimes, we can't notice we're walking in the flesh, but other people can. And notice what they are. He gives us a list. It's adultery that's walking in the flesh. It's fornication that's walking in the flesh. That's still the flesh having power over you. Or uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, And here's the one, jealousies. This is also work of the flesh. Now, why was she jealous? I want you to know something so that you really can overcome this. Maybe if it's something you're struggling with in your own life. She was jealous, I noticed this, because she was comparing herself. You want to be content? Then stop comparing yourself with other people. You want to be satisfied? Then take your eyes off of what other people are doing and put your eyes on Jesus Christ. That's where your eyes should be. And so many times we compare the season that we're going through with someone else's season. How come I'm not there yet? How come my life doesn't look that way right now? And it's so interesting, especially in the social media world that we live in right now. Have you noticed that people always put only the best highlights of their life? You know what, note, and mostly what people do is they compare the, the worst in their own life with the best in someone else's. She was jealous because she was comparing herself. And notice this, this pride awoke in envy, and the envy was turned into nagging out of the will of God. Now she's complaining out of the will of God. You see why this is the reason why so many people are depressed, they're anxious, they're insecure, they have no peace, they lost the peace, they're angry. Why? Because they're comparing themselves. And they lack contentment. They, they say, I want what that other person has. I want that relationship. I want that position. I want that job. We, st- we, we are not satisfied with what God is doing in our lives. So we begin to be en- envious of other people. And notice, then slowly we get out of God's will. Why? Because you're comparing yourself. Comparison is the fastest way to kill your joy. That's why oftentimes we can't be content and joyful with what God is doing in our lives. The fastest way to kill something special is by comparing it to something else. Stop comparing yourself, what God is doing in your life. Do you remember what happened with, when, when Peter started comparing himself? In fact, in John chapter 21, where Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, care for my sheep. Follow me, Peter. And then... What does Peter do? He turns around. That's the first problem. And he looks at the other disciple whom Jesus loves, which was John the Beloved. And he tells, he responds to Jesus, what about this one? How many times is God calling us to do something and we turn around and we're looking at someone else? And we say, Lord, what about them? What are they going to do? You know what Jesus says to Peter? The same thing he's telling us, what's that to you? You know what he was saying? That's none of your business. You come and follow me. Stop comparing yourself with what God is doing in someone else's life. Because then you'll become jealous and be led by a work of the flesh. Now notice as it continues here, because Jacob here responded in such a way where he's angry. He knows that God is in every matter. However, he responds frustrated. He's frustrated at this question. He says, and Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. He was frustrated at the question that his wife came to him with. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld you from the fruit of your womb? Do you think I'm in the place of God that I can do this? And we don't understand why the Lord did this to Rachel. Maybe it was to reduce her pride because Jacob worked 14 years for her. Maybe it was to humble her because of the beauty and the pride and exaltation that she had over her sister Leah. So the Lord withheld her of conception to have her depend upon him even more so. We don't know. This is all we know of her life. But again, she does the very thing we saw in the family happen. And she resorts to a work of the flesh. One work of the flesh. You know what it does? It leads to another. You're jealous. You're envious. You you want what someone else has. Notice what she begins to do manipulate her situation i want that so i'm going to manipulate my situation to get to the place where i think i need to be you know what that's called striving 
instead of waiting on the Lord and letting him bless in his timing. You see that happen a lot today, that people want to make something out of themselves, a name out of themselves, or put themselves in a position, in a place, or in competition, or in comparison. And notice what she begins to do. She schemes. She strives now. She says, well, if Jacob can't be in the place of God, then I will be. Then I'm going to take control. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. It's a very dangerous thing when you're unwilling to wait on the Lord and you say, instead of the matter being in God's hands, you want to say, I'm going to put the matter in my own hands. And notice what she does here in verse 3. This is a similar story of what you've heard already before. It says, so... She said, here's my maid, Baila, go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. The same thing that Sarah did. What does she say here? Go to my maidservants, because I can't have children, and I want you to have a child with her, and that she would have the child on my knees or present the child before me to take care of the child as if it were mine. This was a, a form where uh, if a woman could not have kids, her servant would for her in her place and then offer now the child before her to take care of the child as a legal adoption. So she's knowing I can't have kids, so notice what she wants to do. She wants to solve her own problem instead of taking her problem to the Lord. See, she's trying to get her needs be met by an illegitimate source. This is not the way God does things. Why is she doing this? Because she's being now conformed to the practice of what other people are doing. So she thinks other people do it this way, so I can do it this way as well. You know, we don't get our standards of morality from what the world's doing. Other people can do it this way, so I'll do it that way as well. Or that's the standard of the world, so I'll do and keep the standard of the world as well. Notice, the general consensus of the world should never determine what the Lord is doing in your life or the standard of morality in your life. You shouldn't do something just because everyone else is doing it. What does the Bible say in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, regarding God's perfect will in your life? Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where does the battle begin in the mind? so that you would not be like the rest of the world. That's your reasonable service. Don't be conformed, be transformed. You know what she was doing here? She was conforming. And because she was conforming, you know what else she was doing? She was compromising. When you conform, then you will compromise. And here you see seven principles as we just read this chapter on what it means to let God do the work. Because God is teaching Jacob Jacob, submit to me and let me do the work. Don't try to do the work in my place. So notice what happens here is that she now gives her maidservant to Jacob to have a now child, and Jacob is now an obedient husband and says, sure, honey, I'll do it. He has no problem with that. So he goes in and has sexual relations with this maid. And notice what takes place there from verses 4 to 6. Then she gave him Bila her maid as wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bila conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Now, do you know why she called his name Dan? Because the word Dan means judge. And she said, God has given me a son. God has vindicated my case. God has judged my case, and now he has provided a son for me. Now, here's the first principle when it comes to letting God do the work. Here it is. I want you to remember it. Doing things in the flesh and calling it a work of God is a lie. Remember that doing things in the flesh and then calling it a work of God is a lie. How many times have we done things in our own flesh, manipulated the situation, strived and pushed and worked hard, and then we say, look what the Lord is doing, and the Lord's not in it. <laughs> look at what she says. She sends Jacob to have an illegitimate son with her maid, and then she says, oh, look, the Lord's blessed me with a son. <laughs> that was not the Lord. That was your work. That was the work of the flesh. This was a false assurance with a false evidence 
as if she was right. She was wrong. She was anxious. Instead of waiting on the Lord, she was proudful. And notice what your pride doesn't let you see. Your pride never lets you see your dishonesty. When you're proudful, you will never know how dishonest you're being. You know where the dishonesty begins? With yourself. A hypocrisy. You're so prideful, you can't see how hypocritical you're being right now. What is she doing here? Forcing God's blessings and then calling it a work of God. Number one, when it comes to letting God do the work, doing things in the flesh and calling it a work of God is a lie. Notice here as we continue reading, because it says that in verse 7, and Rachel's maid, Bila, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Now the key word there in verse 8 is the word wrestled. Because notice what she's doing now. She says, I've, I've been wrestling with my sister. She's doing things out of emotion now. She's doing things out of the flesh. I saw that work. Well, let's do that again. Byla, go have now relations with my husband so that I can have another child. And why is she doing this? Because she's striving against her sister. In fact, that verse, verse 8, tells us the very thing. It says, with great wrestlings or struggle or fighting or striving, I have wrestled with my sister. You know what she was in? She wasn't in the spirit. She was in competition. Ask yourself, when you're serving in ministry, are you serving in the spirit or are you competing with someone else? She says, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm wrestling with my sister. And, and notice what her pride makes her believe in that verse, verse 8. And I have prevailed. She says, not only am I wrestling, I'm winning. <laughs> now I have a, two children. Now I have a second child. You know what the second principle is when it comes to letting God do the work? It's this, number two, spiritual victories cannot be won in the flesh. You can't say you're winning if you're walking in the flesh. Spiritual victories cannot be won in the flesh. You can't say you're prevailing when you're doing things in the flesh. This goes from comparison, notice the second thing, to competition. You know when you begin to compare yourself, what you'll naturally want to do next is compete. Who's better? Who has more knowledge? Who's more equipped? Who's more qualified? Who's more right? And outwork one another. That's not a work of the Spirit. Who has more influence? Who has more people? You see it in ministries. You see it in work. You see it in the corporate ladder of the world. It's all about recognition. It's all about status. It's all about striving, all motivated by the flesh. Because one person starts to compare themselves and then the pride and the ego and the envy get a hold of the mind and heart and then it begins into a competition. Instead of enjoying and being blessed with God is doing in your life. Number three, when it comes to letting God do the work in your life, I want you to remember this and really take this to heart. You are not competing with anyone else. When the Lord is doing a work in your life, in the ministry, in your calling, you are not competing with anyone else. You're being content with what God has for you. And when your life is not dominated by the Lord, then that's going to bring trouble. Jacob's life is not fully dominated by the Lord. So here he finds trouble. There, here, even you see Rachel, her life is not dominated by the Lord. So there he finds, she finds trouble. Galatians 6, verse 3. I want you to write this down. Galatians 6, 3. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. <laughs> Look what the Word of God tells us. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. You want to get a satisfaction of a job well done? Then don't compare yourself. Focus on what God's called you to do. Notice verse 9 as we continue. It says, when Leah saw now that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. Now, Jacob here isn't a problem. 
She said, he was having kids with Leah. Then when Rachel's made, now with Leah's made. And there he is in the middle of all this problem. Instead of putting a stop to this, he's allowing this to continue. And notice what happens. She saw Leah now, the wife that was having kids. Now she can't have kids. And notice what she does. She sinks to the carnal level of her sister's pathetic attempt to now strive in the flesh. You know what the only thing worse than comparing yourself with someone else is being influenced by someone else to strive in the flesh as well. She was influenced now. Now she's doing the same thing that her sister is doing. Now, now she's being pulled into it as well herself. And she's saying, I'm going to accomplish what I want to do by my own strength. It's so sad. Oftentimes we can't believe that we get pulled into those things by being influenced with someone else's pathetic attempts of preforming things on their own. Did you know that God is not looking for our performance? You know what he's looking for? Our obedience. He's the one that blesses the work. These are futile efforts of the flesh. And notice now her sister's doing the same thing. Now they're competing against one another. And Leah's made, Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. You know what she's saying? Now I have strength. Now I have numbers. I'm going to call him Gad because I'm fortunate. That's what it means, Gad, the name. A troop is coming or an army is on its way. There's no acknowledgement of God here on her behalf. I want you to know something there. You will never acknowledge God as long as the flesh is in control. You will never acknowledge God as long as the flesh is in control. The flesh is in control here. There's nothing that can point in her own efforts that this is God. And notice what happens here in verse 12 as it continues. And Leah's made Zilpah board Jacob a second son, and then Leah said, I'm happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Asher means happy. Others are going to call me happy or blessed because I continue having children, pretending to be happy in her own efforts of her own strength and manipulation and plan. Notice verse 14. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And notice what happens then. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, we all know what mandrakes are, right? No, we really don't, right? But what this was, is was this was an ancient fruit. And what it did, it was known to be or had a superstition that was associated with it, that this was the love apple, a mandrake. And here comes Reuben, the son of Leah from the field. He brings a mandrake and what he does is that this was believed to arouse a sexual appetite or to have the aroma of conception so in their superstition they thought this was what's going to make you have children and notice what happens here is that now leah has a mandrake which is to believe in their time to produce or help bear children and notice what happens is that rachel sees that she has a mandrake and notice what she says give me some of your son's mandrakes Give me what you have. She's not satisfied. She always wants what other people have. She, she's resorting to a method instead of resorting to God because God's not doing anything. So she says, I want that method. I, I want you to know something today. Do not put your trust in a method. Do not think if I do X, Y, and Z that I'm going to have what I want. Do not put your trust in what the world would find success. Do not put your trust in the method that the world finds their solutions. Do not look for the mandrakes that the enemy wants to offer you as a solution so that you think that that's the way God's going to do a work. Because it's all a deception. And notice verse 15, but she said to her, if it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband, would you take away my son's mandrake also? She's saying, you already took my husband, now you want to take my mandrakes? No way. And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's matter. Now they're bargaining here for Jacob. You just imagine what Jacob feels. You know, I'm going to stand back. Whoever wins, I'll be with them. 
But they're fighting with one another. And you see here that Rachel is in complete control of her husband because she's the one that's negotiating this deal and saying, if you give me those mandrakes, then tonight I'll let you have him. You see the problems that this sinful type of dynamic of marriage and polygamy resorts to? This is out of God's will. And it says, that, and it says when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes and lay with her the night. Now, you thought that you had problems, right, in your family. Look, look what's going on here to, to, to the generation, to the family that God is using. So she hires her own husband to stay with her that night. And it says here, and God listened to Leah, verse 17. I want you to underline that. It wasn't striving. It wasn't a method. It wasn't anything that Leah could have done. It was God's sovereign will. It's not anything that in our own efforts we can manipulate or give birth to. It has to be the sovereignty of God's divine will. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Now, you know what's interesting here? Is that Rachel had the mandrakes but Leah had the baby. <laughs> you know what this tells you? It's so important. That you, when you rely on a method, when you try to manipulate a situation, oftentimes it actually does the opposite of what you intended. You relied on a method. You relied on a system. And the system didn't work. Because you can't put in, I'll tell you this, remember this, for the rest of your life, when you're, when you're serving the Lord, when you're listening to the voice of God, you can't put in what God's left out. You can't do it. It's only of God. Or it's nothing. And Leah said, God has given my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. She called his name Ishakar. She says, God has blessed me now. She calls the name of her son Ishakar here, which means reward. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment or rewarded me now. My husband will dwell with me or he'll love me. He'll have attention to me. He'll now spend time with me because I have borne him six sons. She called his name Zebulun. You know what his name means? Dwelling. Now he'll spend time with me. This is how the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel are born here out of this family. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah, which means judgment. But then, verse 22, God remembered Rachel and God listened to her, and God opened her womb. There's three things that it says that God did. I want you to pay attention to those things because those are what changes everything. God remembered, God listened, and God what? Opened. You want the Lord to do a work? You want the Lord to bless? You want the Lord to give birth to something fresh and new? It requires that God would do it. God remembered, God listened, God opened. God enabled her to have children. It was all as a gift of God. It was all as a work of God. It was all from the purpose and plan of God. This is the faithfulness of God here. When we look at verse 22, you see the faithfulness of what God did. He remembered, he listened, he opened. And she conceived and bore a son, verse 23, and said, God has taken away my reproach because it was looked at as reproach in the ancient culture. God has removed this reproach from me. The Lord restored to her joy in her life. And she called his name Joseph. This is the next character study that we'll look at as we go through Genesis. Joseph. And she said, the Lord shall add to me another son. She finally has one son. She names him Joseph, which means the Lord will add. That's what Joseph means. The Lord will add. The Lord will give me another son. But you notice what she names him. She finally has a son, and she says, the Lord's going to give me another son. <laughs> Here's the fifth principle of letting God do a work. If you're not satisfied where you're at, you're not going to be satisfied when you move down the line. You must be satisfied with what God is doing in order to be satisfied at the next place of where he's taking you. We must trust in God's plan, not in our own plan. Notice what the Old Testament prophet 
the Lord would speak through him in Isaiah 55a. We know this very well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. Well, God, I like it this way better. Well, the Lord says, I don't care the way you like it. I know better than you do. (laughs) How many of us know here that God knows things that we don't know about? He can see things that we have not seen yet. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God has a plan, and his plan is always better. This was now him learning to let God do the work in his home life. Do not strive, do not manipulate, do not create your own plan. Wait on the Lord, trust in him. Let the spirit lead, not the flesh. When the flesh leads, you will get in trouble every time. But notice here in verse 25, this is now his work life. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, notice he goes to Laban, his father-in-law, and says, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. He knows that he needs to go back now. He knows that God has blessed him with the son of the wife that he desired. And now he has Joseph, so he wants to go back to the land of Canaan. He knows that that's the place where God is going to bless him. He says, release me. He knows that God's promises are going to be fulfilled in his life at the place that God has called him. You know, it's also amazing when you let God do the work. Here it is. The sixth principle that you look at is God's promises are in the place that God's called you. God's promises are in the place that God has called you. You know what Jacob wanted? He wanted nothing more than to be in the position for God to bless him. He wanted to be under the spout of the grace of God. We have to be very careful that we know where the grace of God is working, where the grace of God is doing a work, and stay under that spout of the grace and the favor and the goodness of God, and don't move yourself out of that place. Because that's this place of blessing. So what does he say, verse 26? Give me my wives, my children from where I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service, which I have done for you. Give me what is mine, and let me leave now. You know that I work for you. And notice how he responds, Laban here, and Laban said to him, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience, Lord, I know that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Laban, an unbeliever, he says, I know that the Lord has blessed my property, my goods, my land because of you. How beautiful it is when a non-believing boss at work says, the Lord is blessing us here in this business because of the believer that we have here and his work ethic and his commitment and his faithfulness. You know what Laban knew? Laban wasn't a God-fearing man, but he knew God was blessing him because of Jacob. This was a testimony of God's favor. But you know Laban, he's not interested in Jacob's God. You know what he's interested in? and the blessings he received because of Jacob's God. He wanted to use Jacob. And I think it's important sometimes that we realize this. Are we interested in the blessings of Jacob? Are we interested in the God of Jacob? Notice what happens here, because in verse 20 it says, then he said, name your wages, and I'll give them to you. Tell me how much you want me to pay you, and I'll pay you so you stay You see, he had intellectual knowledge that it was God blessing him because of Jacob or through Jacob. He had the knowledge in his head, but he did not have the surrender in his heart. He knew God is blessing me through Jacob. So verse 29, so Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. Notice, you know how I have cared for your flock. For what you had before I came was little and has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now what shall I also provide for my own house? I want to provide for my own now. You know, when I came, you had very little. Now the Lord's blessed. It was God blessing through Jacob. It was God's favor in spite of his mistakes. How am I going to bless? How am I going to provide for my own family, he's saying now. Verse 31, so he said, what shall I give you? Again, he makes an offer. And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flock. He says, okay, let's make a deal now. I'll keep your flock. I'll continue to take care of them if you do this for me. Let me pass through all the flock today, removing from there the speckled and the spotted sheep. 
This was the ones that were mostly not wanted. These were the ones that were despised. These were the lesser of the amount of the ones that Laban had. And all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, all these shall be my wages. Let me go and separate those that are speckled and spotted. I'll have that as my wage. And you keep the rest because of how I've served you. Now, I want you to see something important there in verse 32. We're never to expect anything from any source outside of our Heavenly Father. Here he's looking to expect something from Laban, the unbeliever, saying, give me now my blessing. You know what the, he learns through Laban? That Laban does not keep his word. Laban does not keep his promises. But God does keep his word. And God does keep his promises. The Lord does not change. In Malachi 3, 6, what, what does the Lord tell us? For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. He's going to learn here through the next chapter how oftentimes here Laban is trying to rip him off. That's what the world wants to do. It offers you something that it can't give you. And it says, so my righteousness, verse now 33, will answer for me in time to come. In the future, you'll see that I have been righteous. When you see that I've taken the speckled and the spotted, that will speak for me, my own integrity, my own righteousness, my own right standing, well, you will know that, that I'm innocent. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. You see how he identifies a plan to now constitute its separation? So he says, you can trust me in this. And Laban said, oh, that it would be according to your word. Now notice, you can't trust Laban because Laban always changes his mind. He was a manipulator. You know what he's saying? Okay, deal. So he removed, verse 35, notice what he does then secretly. He removed that day, Laban, the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them to the hand of his sons. Isn't that interesting? He says, let me take the ones that are speckled and spotted. Laban says, all right, do it, deal. And then he goes and removes them and then takes them away and gives them to his son so there's none left. That's exactly what the, how the world enemy wants to set you up, pretending that you're going to have something to show forth, but then he takes it away from you. Now notice what it, how it continues here. It says, then he put a three-day's journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock, so he removed them so that they would not be mixed. But we know that Jacob had experience in now being a man of the field and one that knew what it meant to breed. And it says, now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and the chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. Now he's using what some believe was a selective breeding process. He takes these rods, he peels them away and what does he do with the white strips? He exposes what's inside. This is now also a method. But notice what he does here. He's working, believing, as some would think, that this is the way that he would breed those that would be speckled and spotted so that he can have also some sheep and goats. And the rods which he had peeled, he said before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink so that when they should drink, they would conceive when they came to drink. This was something that he believed that if I work at this, then I'll have speckled and spotted lambs. Now, it's interesting what happens here because the Lord actually blesses this. Now, do we know why God blesses one method and not the other? No, we don't. That's up to God. You know what our responsibility is? It's to be faithful and to trust not the method, but trust the Lord. Notice here the seventh principle when it comes to letting God do the work is this. You may be working, but God is the one that's blessing. You may be doing the work, but God is the one that's blessing. It's not your work, it's his hand on the work. Because you can do all the work, if his hand's not in it, it will not be blessed. And notice what happens, so the flocks, verse 39, can see before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaks, speckled and spotted, notice. God honored what he had done. Why does God honor one method and not the other? 
We don't know, but God's hand was on Jacob. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face forward the streak and all the browns in the flock of the lamb. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. He separated them. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. And when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. His now flocks started to grow, but Laban's became weaker. Thus, the man became exceedingly prosperous. I want you to look at that verse there, verse 43, as we come to a close. What did he become? Exceedingly prosperous. The Lord's hand was on the work that he was doing. And he had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. You know what God is doing there in verse 43? He is confirming his plan. He is confirming his approval in the life of Jacob. Regardless of what Laban would have done, notice, God's hand was still on Jacob. You know why this is so comforting? Because oftentimes we think that God's not going to fulfill the plan in our lives because of the way people treat us or because of opposition or the way people scheme. I want you to know something. God will fulfill his plan regardless of what man does. He will accomplish his purpose. Now, notice, he was not exceedingly prosperous because he was good at what he did. He was exceedingly prosperous because of the promises that God made to him. And that's exactly why he was blessed this way, because God's favor and hand was on his life. What do we learn? Number one, doing things in the flesh and calling it a work of God is a lie. Doing things in the flesh and calling it a work of God is a lie. Number two, spiritual victories cannot be won in the flesh. You cannot say I'm prevailing if you're walking and working and in your own strength and power. Number three, you're not competing with anyone else. Number four, you will never acknowledge God as long as the flesh is in control. Why? Because the flesh always points to self. Number five, if you're not satisfied where you're at, you're not going to be satisfied when you move down the line. What do we need to be? Satisfied with what God has for us right now. Number five, six, God's promises are in the place that God has called you. Where do you want to be? In the place that he's called you. That's where the promises and blessing of God is. And number seven, you may be working, but God is the one that is blessing. You know what we can trust? When God is blessing. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now, Lord. We're thankful that you show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to you, but also, mostly, most importantly, where your hand is at, where your blessing is flowing. And we ask, Lord, that today we would be in the place where you're working, Lord. Forgive us of envy, forgive us of jealousy, forgive us of maybe even competing and comparing and desiring something that someone else has. Lord, Lord, we don't want to desire anything that you don't have for us. We want only what you want for us, Lord. So, Lord, we ask, God, for your blessing on the things that you called us to do, that we would not find ourselves distracted, wanting to impress, wanting to be successful in our own terms and conditions, but that everything that we do would honor you, so we ask all these things in Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. Why don't we stand together?